Hello and welcome to Grand Craft Beer, Ben's premier beer podcast exploring everything beer in Central Oregon with your host, who's a Cicerone and the author of Oregon Breweries, Brian Yeager. Hello and welcome to Grand Craft Beer. I am your happy host, Brian Yeager, and I am very excited to be joined in the studio today by Paul Arney of the Ale Apothecary. Hello. Thanks for coming on in. Yeah, this is great. I'm happy too. Excellent. I, right, good. Every, everyone should be happy, mm-hmm. especially when beer is involved. We're just talking beer, yes. <laughs> not, not serious. Uh, so first and foremost, right, you you are the creator of the Ale Apothecary. You've been around for a full dozen years at this point. Started back in 2011. Mm-hmm. Take us back to either 2011 or even 2010. Turn back the clock. Yeah. What was going on? Well, you know, uh, starting the uh, Ale Apothecary was really trying to explore um, maybe what we as Americans have lost dirt with uh, with prohibition. Kind of sounds weird, but um, I was looking around and all I could see with our brewing culture was mainly uh, varying um, examples of industrial type breweries. You know, just scale was the only difference, right? And so... I was really interested in the history of beer and the history of craft and, and um, with the uh, brewing being the only thing I knew how to do, um, I decided to dive into it um, head first um, or jump off a cliff. Um, so yeah, I tried to basically create beer from here using local ingredients, um, simplifying the brewing process and using time as an ingredient. Um, yeah, focusing on um, a way to make a very unique product that is kind of like the expression of the place that it comes from. I will interject a, a quick note there. I even grapple with this myself. Obviously, beer for primary ingredients, barley, hops, yeast, water. But then everyone sort of has their own idea of what the fifth ingredient is. And it seems like you're saying it is time. Well, I mean, yeah, for sure. For for um, for us, time uh, takes the place of the industrialization that um, has happened in all of our food processing. You know, and the beer is the one that I know about. So, you know, things like forced carbonation or um, filtering or um, using processed ingredients or even um, you know mineral um, mineral salts to adjust pH. All these things um, add up to um, to something, I think. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the goal was to remove um, anything that doesn't grow out of the ground uh, nearby and uh, try to um, be patient and, and make some beer out of this stuff. But I'm sort of reminded of, of a story from back in the early days or mid to early days. Uh, it, it's fair to say that most craft breweries are predominantly brewing ales. Obviously, it's great that there's a whole bunch that are now focusing on lagers. Uh, and ales could really be in your glass two weeks after they brew the beer, right? For sure. And if we're talking about farmhouse beers from uh, the, uh, the old country, you know, like Scandinavia stuff, that could be days. Days, exactly. Yep. Like you're, you're <clears throat> making it, you're cooking it up one day, and days later you get to drink it. But I remember soliciting a beer from you uh, for an event I used to do called Creek Fest. May or may not come back in the future. Oh, yes. But uh, I said, hey, you know, it's it's Lambic-style beers uh, fruited in the sort of Belgian Creek tradition, which I knew was up your wheelhouse. And you had told me, sure, no problem. If I make it now, I brew it, 
I, it takes a couple years to barrel age, and then I have to have it bottle conditioned for another year. Yeah. So whereas other breweries were saying, I'm going to turn this beer out in two weeks or less, you're basically re- predominantly releasing beers by the time the consumer gets to them. That could have been brewed two or three years earlier. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I mean, primarily that is because... Um, of this uh, adherence. I'm trying to brew um, completely natural beer, and this is debatable on what the word natural means. Um, just ask those winemakers on what natural wine is, and you'll get all sorts sure. of different different responses. But like for, for me, um, that uh, involves using um, steam for sanitation and um, using... Uh, Using the wild yeast um, allows me to uh, – well, so we have to treat all of our waste, you know, so like the breweries at my house. And so we're on a septic system, and so I don't have the privilege of um, being able to allow, you know, the city to deal with our wastewater. And so um, with that in mind, um, brewing wild beer is kind of like making sourdough. I'm taking advantage of this, uh, uh, the natural microflora, and I don't have to be as stringent with my um, sanitation, right? I can, I need to be, I need to be clean and I need to be diligent, but I don't have to be using uh, chemicals, you know, so it can be awfully harsh sometimes. Um, And so, but this reliance on wild yeast um, lends itself to long-term barrel aging because uh, the Britannomyces, the wild yeast, is able to break down carbohydrates um, over long periods of time. And if you package something too early, you could have wildly overcarbonated bottles or maybe even exploding bottles. Um, and so that is one of the main reasons, along with the maturation and flavor development. It's also this, it's just the long process to get the wild yeast to attenuate the beer. And even then, you, when you talk about water, correct me if I don't recall this exactly, but you, as you mentioned, your brewery is at your house. Your house is out in the woods. Do I remember you telling me a story about when you first lived there, you didn't, you basically, you guys, you had to go down to the creek to fetch a pail Oh, well, yes. Before <laughs> we started the brewery, yeah, my wife and I lived in this little cabin that was on the property um, like through, through, through initial, yeah. Wild ales, there's more, it's not just the ales that's wild about, about <laughs> your whole scenario. I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, of course. Thank you, sir. <laughs> yes, yes. But, you know, like as we're, um, as we're talking about now um, and uh, your festival and the beers, um, we are developing a, uh, a line of beers that don't take two years to make. Sure. Um, we've had, uh, we've worked with Imperial Yeast up in Portland to isolate our um, wild Saccharomyces strain. Um, and Saccharomyces is the yeast that uh, is typically used in, in brewing beers. Um, so we've had that isolated, and um, we are making, quote-unquote, clean beers with our wild yeast. And so this beer that we're going to be tasting today is only maybe six weeks old um, and just has a little bit of carbonation left to go. Well, I don't want to let this festive beer that you've alluded to out of the bag just yet. Ooh, but okay. <laughs> let's, uh, what I really want to do is go back to Brew One for the Ale Apothecary. What was your first beer? Tell me everything about it, including how and like how you discovered it. Why? Why? You know, right? this is not this is not the IPA of craft beer. This is not something that every single brewery is out there making a version of or making ten versions of. True. Yes. Yeah. So um, you've obviously heard of the brewery Orval. Uh, maybe one some of the of... world's finest examples of. Beer making. Yeah, yep. Yeah, they're one of the Trappist breweries in Belgium, and um, they make they make one beer. It's called Orval. It comes in a bottle, um, and it is um, uh, packaged with some Britannomyces, right? Uh, which is also known as, as wild yeast. 
and um, Orval is a dry hopped ale that's um, that's very tasty when it's fresh, uh, but you can age it and it changes with time, and it's this beautiful thing. And they only make that's all they make, right? This right. No one, one beer. No one shows up to the uh, to the Abbey and says, "Oh, I've got my untapped out. What do you? What's what new else this week? do you have? Yes. Where's your triple berry s'mores pie version of it? There's. It's just that one." Glorious, glorious beer. That one beer. glorious beer, yeah. That and so they, they were, I think they call it like a Belgian pale ale, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. yeah, Belgian pale ale. It's unlike every other Trappist beer in the market. Totally. They're very inspirational because um, I was trying to comprehend how it would be possible to have a very small brewery um, be um, financially and functionally stable. And um, I will say, I could only think of one single brewery in all of America that gets away with that, which is uh, the Trumer Brewery in Berkeley, which, of course, is an outcropping oh, of the Austrian right. They only make the pills, don't they? They only make the pills. <gasps> okay. There's one brewery in all of America yeah. that gets to do one beer. Right. And so that was kind of the initial idea, right? Because mm-hmm. for me, being on a small brewery and trying to comprehend how all this would work, um, I'm not going to have a lot of space for different brands. I'm not going to have um, time to experiment with all these other uh, variables in this new way of brewing that I was trying to teach myself. Um, so I decided to uh, to brew this beer I called Saheli, which was named after my daughter and after the falls. Um, so placed Beautiful a lot spot. of meaning in it, you know yep. what I mean? Um, and the whole concept was to take um, this idea of what makes, um, you know, a brewery's kind of signature beer and try it from from our standpoint where we were. So, you know, you use like, you know, um, pale malts, you know, a little bit of wheat, some hops, your yeast, nothing nothing too crazy to let the house character come out. Um, and then uh, we, you know, bottle conditioned it with, uh, with honey um, after, you know, a year's worth of barrel aging. So uh, on the surface, very simple, right? Simple ingredients, relatively simple process, let it age, and then, um, and then achieve uh, natural carbonation with honey, very similar to um, how champagne is, is carbonated. Um, so that was, that was the very first brew, and, and uh, for a short period of time, was, uh, I believe that was going to be the only beer we made. Yeah. Yeah, until you, know, you, you have how a beer. How do you feel about that now, a dozen years later? Just do you wish that that could have been the thing that worked, or are you glad that you now get to make Oof. this very beautiful, wide range of styles and flavors and ingredients? I, I could see it going in either direction. Well, yeah, and I'm I think curious. that's how I'm feeling right now, right? It's like, I mean, there's definitely like the creative uh, the creative elements in my life. Like it's, it's nice to have a creative outlet, right? And if you're making the same thing all the time, even if with nuance and, and season changing and stuff, there's, um, it's going to be limiting. Um, on the other hand, um, I think the um, the way that uh, we've trained our beer consumer to always expect something new, you know, um, for example, I've had people come in and say, oh, my gosh, that's a Haley's the best beer I've ever had in my life. Um, what else do you have? Right. And that that is to me, I feel like um, we're I'm kind of caught between those these two things. Right. And so it's like um, making a wide variety of things is, is fun and creative. But I have to say that the uh, the Saheli that we have now in bottles, um, I feel like it's taken us the entire 12 years we've been in existence to get to where we are now. You know, like the beer I feel is super phenomenal. Um, so I just hope that we get to continue making it. You that know? really it's something that I think is so worth reflecting on in discussing craft beer and what that is. And you mentioned craft beer, you know, 
obviously it, it comes from this idea of craftsmanship and building something with your hands, presumably, and you do it 10,000 times, right, until you could perfect it. And you have all these craft breweries today that are releasing a brand new beer every single weekend. Oh, here's our four pack of this version of this beer. And they never tweak it. They never adjust it because their customers don't want to, oh, I've had that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but they don't realize that, yes, of course, it will change both because of the uh, agriculture in ingredients that go into it, but also your, you know, you as the maker, what you have learned and gleaned and been able to hone and perfect and craft mm -hmm. over those years. So I always think that's an interesting thing to think about when people talk about craft brewery versus, you know, the, the disparaging word for the other would, I guess, be industrial. But yeah, yeah. But then is Orval an industrial brewery? I mean, right, could right. You, would you dare call you know, them that? I haven't been allowed they make inside one the thing. brewery. Uh, yeah. You know, I know <laughs> other people have. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they, they may be considered industrial, you know. Um, and I mean, I think to your point, you know, these uh, these brewers that are turning out different beers every week, I'll guarantee you that they're um, employing uh, lessons that they've learned from the mm -hmm. week prior, even, you know, even with these different ingredients and such. Um, but I, I really do like this idea, like very similar to Orval, where you can have this thing um, that is at one particular uh, space and time uh, uh, has its certain qualities, right? But as, as time goes on, it changes and that that change is actually something beautiful and becomes something very unique. You know, it's like I think that's a big thing that I've been um, – kind of focused on um, because, uh, you know, industrial beer, like uh, macro beer, big beer, you know, these guys are trying to make beers taste exactly the same. Right. And they're going to great lengths to kind of hide these fluctuations that they seasonally get or yearly get with their ingredients from the customer, you know, because people expect the exact same thing. And um, I'm a, I really do appreciate the fact that we do now have a uh, consumer base uh, in craft beer that appreciates these things, you know. I've always said, different. I know I don't need a beard to be consistent. I just need it to be consistently good. Ooh, nice. And so yes. whether, you know, whatever the variants are, the fluctuations over time, whether it's the beer that you bottled at one point and how it tastes year after year, if you if it's a beer that is sellable or just different batch, you know, how batch 13, 300, 3000 as you go on will will naturally be different than batch one yes of yeah that beer yeah and i mean i think another cool thing too is uh like orval is is, is dry hop they make a big deal out of um sharing that and the fact that they age it it was always like in in my earlier brewing days i didn't quite understand because um as an american craft brewer i was always um taught that um dry hopping is for beers that are to be served fresh and, uh, you know, because that that characteristic will go away or become uh, less noticeable. Um, but it, it's a great way to um, step back and look at how we make beer as brewers and realize that, yes, uh, things that we maybe believe or have learned and, and have had in practice for a while um, isn't necessarily the only way things have to be, you know. Certainly. Now, I do want to go spend a little more time on Sahali the beer. Okay. Uh, I know. So... <laughs> If someone were to say, what style is it? You would conceivably answer, it is a Finnish sati. No, that that is our sahati. Oh, sorry. So yep, that yep, is yep, sati. Yep, oh, right, yep. of course. Yep. Uh, 
But uh, so let's go. Let's go to. Was, You're going to do this. You're going to ask I, me to categorize I, my beer. No, no, not all of them. Just, just the this one, one. The one that I started the brewery and on. This is a leading question. Oh, that's so funny. Yes. Well, so, so intentionally, it was intentionally not like I was. I have been intentionally trying to avoid brewing anything to style. It has been a goal to like not be held um, accountable by these style guidelines because, right, all these beers that come from everywhere around the world, um, they started with a unique uh, source of water, some unique local ingredients, um, a unique creative brewer brain, which was probably a female in a lot of cases. Um, there just was uh, there was a lot of um, there was a lot of variables, right, and so the brewer took these ingredients and did their. Uh, very best to make something tasty to consume. And that's really where we get a lot of the style names. I mean, uh, a Pilsner comes from Pilsen. A yeah, Dortmunder exactly. comes from Dortmund. We have all these styles. That yeah, are... Russian Imperial Stouts. I mean, they're all from someplace, right. right? Yeah. But at the same time, you know, maybe if you really wanted to paint with some obscene brush, you could call it cultural appropriation. <laughs> but we are, you know, you are brewers and... You know, chefs are allowed to make food from around the world. Brewers are allowed to make beers and beer styles from around the world. And just because you're making a, you know, a German Hellas in America, it doesn't need to taste exactly like it does in Germany. A a Munich wheat beer doesn't need to taste like it came from Bavaria. For sure. Even though, theoretically, that is your target. That is the general I see what you're going to come around and ask me to put this in a category, aren't you? I sure am. Oh, my am. gosh. We're right on the microphone right now? <laughs> I know. That is cold, Devious. Brian. Yes. So uh, explain to me, you know, and again, we're, I mean, we're talking about these styles that are, you know, uh, the, the, the the pale ales from Burton-on-Trent. The, yes. The, oh, for the, sure. The light beers, the lagers from around Germany and and. Czech well, what Republic. I can say, what I can say to this question is the— um, the influences had to do with understanding how Germans used um, the Reinheitsgebot, this uh, purity law, um, and and they would produce which that again that just means malted barley, yeah. water, yeast, hops. Of course, when it was written, they did not know about yeast. Yeah, there's only three at the beginning. Yes. Right, <laughs> but I mean they uh, they, were they three brew... centuries away from discovering that yeast is an ingredient and not God's magic. Good. Right. right. Yeah. Well, um, so there was a big inspiration from understanding how the Germans brewed something called sauerwort. Um, most German breweries will have like a, uh, um, how do we say, that? an acidified uh, version of the sugar component that will eventually be fermented into beer. They will, uh, they will take some of that sugar and feed it to uh, lactobacillus. Um, which is a souring bacteria, um, and they keep this in their brew house and will use this to adjust pH. Um, understanding that was very, very inspirational. Um, understanding how the Belgians brew triples um, and using the, um, uh, their dry hopping techniques and their maturation in the bottle, and then champagne as far as like the way that it was um, carbonated within the bottle. Those were you referring to the whole I'm, riddling, disgorging that well, that more very only long just that process. natural carbonation okay. of, of adding sugar and yeast to achieve carbonation from no carbonation, mm-hmm. um, not just like a little tiny bit to um, you know get a little yeast in the bottle or something, but from basically no carbonation to full carbonation because you just get so much more aromatics and flavor and mouthfeel from that. From that, so those I would say are the three main things that I drew on to create Sahaley, you know, so like I, I wouldn't, I, the closest beer is going to be some sort of like 
cross between a Belgian lambic and a triple, you know, but um, those I would say are the three lines. I'm not going to, I'm just not going <laughs> to give it one because I actually have never entered um, Sahali in any um, beer uh, competition other than, say, an American Wild Ale. Sure, that one, we. I, I'm happy to call that its own thing. But, but I a, really want to get into the Sahati and, oh, and its roots okay. as a Finnish Sahati. Yes, yes, and yes. If, if you can't hear the distinction in that pronunciation, the style name is Sahti, S-A-H-T-I. Your beer is Sahati, S-A-H-A-T-I. Yeah, which is our, is our spruce beer. And so Sahti as a style um, is... Because that is it, it definitely, you know... To the best of my knowledge, you were the first American craft brewer to release a Finnish style sati. Well, is that but it was it was inspired. It was I all I okay. can say it was inspired by sati because uh, true sati, right? It's it's very much like saison in Belgium, where it's like um, it's a farmhouse style of beer that has a very wide presentation based on which brewer made it. Like you could have two beers that are totally different colors, different hopping rates, yet they can still be both considered sati mm-hmm. because of the yeast they use and and where it comes from and maybe just kind of the spirit of the brewer, like the uh, kind of this idea that uh, uh, a philosophical approach, shall we say. Um, so, you know, sati is, uh, you know, comes from some Norway, Finland, Sweden area. Um, relying on kvike yeast, which is this um, heritage yeast that humans domesticated over the course of hundreds of years um, and typically brewed um, on farms or um, by home brewers. Um, And one of the components of this this beer was uh, the louder ton was typically made out of a um, trough uh, fashioned out of a log. And they would use juniper twigs as uh, the filtering agent. So they'd, they'd have this trough, and they'd put the juniper in it, and then the mash would go on top of that. And the juniper twigs would act as a, as a coarse filter, holding back all the solids. And then they would uh, dribble the wort out into their fermenter um, and add their kvike yeast, no boiling. And then uh, fermentation would kick off, and they would be drinking that beer within a week, usually. Um, I was fortunate enough to go to the... Uh, um, traditional Norwegian Brewers Fest and learned a little bit more about this style. And somebody was saying that, you know, back in the day, if you saw, you know, steam coming out of your neighbor's little brew shed, you knew that to be over there to drink the beer within, you know, within a week, you should be heading over to old man so-and-so's farm to consume the beer that he was making. So all of this can now lead into... My dorky yeah. beer, the, the Sahati. But, but yeah. I, I want to give you... Well, it, it, could, it could lead into the beer that of yours that you brought in oh, that sure. we're about to drink. Mm-hmm. I will give a, a slight bit of a, a background. Um, unbe- I, I went through some emails, and un- I, I had completely forgotten about this, but someone I know who lives on the East Coast had posted a picture, I think on the Instagram, and I sent a note to a PR rep at the brewery and I said, what's this? And I got back a very short email and I had left it at that. The email was one sentence. Now the beer in question, the the brand name was land of the goths. Goths. Right. The brewer is Sam Adams, mm-hmm. right? Which is really Boston beer company. Their brand is Sam Adams, but they are the largest by volume mm-hmm. craft brewery, in America. Mm-hmm. So that Sam Adams Boston Lager, you know, that, that could be a million barrels possibly of that one beer alone. But 
they have a couple smaller, you know, pilot systems and facilities. And just in uh, this last summer, I was walking around downtown Port, uh, 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 Boston and I stumbled across Boston Taproom. And I walk in and this place is huge, hundreds of people in there. And I have a seat at one of the many bars and everyone's either ordering the lager that is their flagship or one of the myriad IPAs that they have on draft. There's probably 20 to more than that taps. And then a whole bunch of fruited sours. I was the only person in my duration sitting in this uh, bar that ordered this beer, Land of the Goths, and they build it as a Swedish farmhouse style ale. But I knew on the description that it had a smokiness to it and a juniper element to it. And so I ordered it. I drank it. I loved it. I do not, Again, no one else is ordering this beer. It's just so far from the norm, in part because eh, farmhouse, that doesn't really resonate with your probably your, your mainstream uh, craft consumer even. And the fact that it had a smoke element mm-hmm. in the vein of a uh, German Rauch beer. Now, I try this beer, and even though it has a smoke component, it just really reminded me of your Kerna. Mm. And, 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 you know, using juniper twigs and branches and leaves and boughs to act as the filtration. And, of course, during that, it will impart some of that juniper For essence sure. yep. to it. So I mention this beer to you, and I mention it in particular uh, all, uh, you know, full disclosure moment here. Uh, I have a, an upcoming beer festival called Different Smokes, mm-hmm. and it's all for different smoked beers. So it's everything from your Bamberg-style Meritzins and sort of smoky Germanic lagers to smoked porters. And, of course, as smoked beer and, you know, being an American brewer, a lot of people start experimenting. So we've got some beers in the lineup that will be aged on smoked apple rings like whole apples and smoked pumpkins and um you know different kinds of wood like uh you know i I think the 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 bamberg malts are smoked over birch wood uh but of course the smoke porter coming out of alaska that's very famous is smoked with alder wood because that's what they have in alaska Mm -hmm. Uh, but in sweden they have birch and they have juniper Mm -hmm. and i think that's probably where this style came from so i want to ask before we even start drinking this beer mm. what did you do to research to figure out how you wanted to make either i don't care and i'm not but i am interested do you call it an authentic oh no okay so i don't call anything unauth- okay that just, well like i just i mean to, to to just to back up a little bit i had to talk about the the sahati that i mm-hmm. brewed right so we were talking about this farmhouse ale and how in um norway or in sweden these beers are produced and um and consumed really quick so these beers generally are sweet and malty um and very young um and so the beer i was producing um Instead of using juniper, I was using spruce, and we were making a wild ale, so we were barrel-aging it for a long time, so the beer had a tartness to it. And I got contacted by um, the uh, – oh, I should I should have looked this up first, <laughs> but it was like the um, – um, the people that that celebrate this beer style back in Scandinavia. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'd seen a post I made on Facebook back in the day, and um, 
they were kind enough to reach out to me to let me know that I was doing it all wrong. I love it. Um, which was wonderful <laughs> because I had never said I was, you know, that's why I put the H in there as far as the name goes. So it's like um, it's inspired. Um, but, you know, it's because we're, you know, over here in America, we kind of do things our own way. Um, anyway, we ended up getting along just fine. And so I, I, ever since I've been very careful about uh, how I uh, tell people um, about these beers. Right. And so um, the spirit of of this, where where these beers come from, you know, it just it goes through my soul. Right. It's like we're, we're right <laughs> lovers of craft. You know, we're trying to make stuff that's tasty and, and, and honor the craft for sure. But uh, by no means do I want to call this an authentic, okay. authentic version, because um, actually when I spoke to you about it, uh, I hadn't heard of this beer style before. Mm hmm. And my fondness for those uh, Scandinavian farmhouse beers, and you know, I looked into this, and um, it's very intriguing, right? And so um, the first person that I called uh, was this fellow named Caleb who runs Sugar Creek Malting in Indiana. Um, and he's, uh, from what I can tell, uh, he's really dedicated to this idea of um, producing malts that embody a sense of craft at a level that you just don't see in um, too many places and he, like he's built and I can't pronounce the word I'm not going to try but uh, farmhouse beers from Scandinavia uh, were malted in a particular malt house that mm -hmm. was built to handle these uh, these fires and the malt right uh, or in the barley so they could uh, so all back in the day right all beers had a smoke character because you know they they were fired you know they were malted over a fire um, right. depending on the type of wood you'd get different characteristics and you can't you can't toast or bake or heat up uh, malts in the kiln if you don't have electricity. Right, yeah. So, of course, every beer... Or Coke. Coke back or Coke. in the old days. Or, or heating up warm, yep. Right, there you go. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure any craft brewer would have a huge lawsuit if they tried to call their beer a, a Coke beer at oh, this yeah, point yeah, in time. Exactly, yes. For, for many reasons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or at least two. Uh, but, right, so so you have these... this very interesting, surprisingly wide range of Scandinavian farmhouse ales. And do you know the name uh, Lars Marius Garshall? Uh, of course, yes. Okay. Lars, Lars Blog. You guys should Lars all look blog, up Lars yes. Blog and, and, and read to your heart's content. It's wonderful. So, uh, you know, there's, there's beer knowledge and there's beer writing in America, but any I've really discovered that any time... Someone's writing about a farmhouse style beer from Scandinavia, from from the Baltics, anywhere in that sort of northern European region. Lars is Lars is there, the guy, like, and he he's takes, only been doing it for like six, seven years. Yeah, now. but he's he really went all in. He yeah, dove. It's in. amazing. So whether he's it's, doing, I mean, a great service for all of us. Really, he's he's um, really. Um, taking in the history and documenting things and going out and still finding people who are producing beers in these, I mean, like, uh, finding in Estonia, this, uh, this woman that was mashing by putting the mash in an oven, baking her mash. Right. It's unbelievable. Like, it's really, really <laughs> inspirational. Like it's, and it's really good knowledge. Yeah. And he Lars just goes man. around Scandinavia, Finland, Norway, where he lives, Denmark, Estonia, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lithuania, I mean, there's more than one brewery making a Lithuanian farmhouse beer in America because of Lars. Because of Lars, yeah. yeah. And, he, and I don't, he's not a brewer. He's he's I think yeah. he's in IT or tech or something, um, but he's passionate about getting the knowledge and sharing it for sure. So, to the best of my Google ability, with this beer that we are about to try, 
and I'm really getting excited to actually finally get to try it. <laughs> it's only the third American brewed version of a Swedish Gotlandstika, and it's called that because it's not even from the Swedish mainland, but this Baltic Gotland. island, yeah. right? It's some, you know, many, many miles off the coast, and Lars's theory is that the reason this beer has survived isn't because it's remote. It, it, it is because it is remote. Oh, sure. Because it, everything on the mainland, all those Swedish styles of yore have disappeared because of industrialization. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't really reached or had the same impact out on this island. So they get to maintain this curiosity. It's sort of a um, Galapagos of, of, of an ancient beer species. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, uh, Caleb in Indiana uh, runs Sugar Cream Malting. Um, when I told him, you know, about your request, yeah, right, because this all came from you're like, can you brew one of these? And it's like, well, because the Sam Adams sounds fantastic, right? So, and I um, do know that Jester King out of Austin, Texas, also brewed one uh, this past January. Mm-hmm. So, again, the best of my ability, Sam Adams brewed the first one a year ago, then Jester King, which very much makes sense for the kinds of beers that they do. For sure, yeah. And now Ale Apothecary will be well, the third. I, to be, Maybe there's a fourth, but yeah, I couldn't well, find it. I mean, I think the thing that we want, the other thing that since we're on the air and we're talking about these <laughs> things, um, the Ale Apothecary uh, is, um, is, is a brand, right? Mm-hmm. It's my brand, and um, we've. I'm working on a DBA for Ale Farm with a PH, Ale Farm, <laughs> um, which I find quite clever. That was my mom's thing, but um, Ale Farm is actually going to be the 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 brand that makes our non sour beers. Excellent, because we've had a li- we we released a brown last year that was um, brewed with our wild yeast without the presence of acid forming bacteria, you know, clean beer, um, and it was a little confusing for people. So I think. Um, the beer that we're p- going to be tasting today would actually reside under the ale, ale farm, farm, you know, which is, you know, closely related to the ale apothecary. But it, hopefully it will be able to communicate that these are these are beers um, that are going in a different direction than our long term barrel aged beers. But of course, farm with the pH still fits into the apothecary oh, realm by doesn't being it? a pharmaceutical, you know, a, a, a maker of healthy elixirs. Yeah, yeah. And healthy by whose standards, who's to say? Yeah, well, (laughs) evidently they're mine at this point. Right on. (laughs) So with all that, now we've each got a glass in front of us. Uh, Um, Let's let's dive into it. So just for the the readers at home, Paula has pulled out a large mason jar of a near canary yellow liquid. It's yellower than straw, but uh, not quite amber or brown or red or anything of that tawny direction and so you'll obviously see that it's not this isn't i pulled it off the tank today so it isn't carbonated right so that's the last step we have to do um also uh to your point we didn't use any juniper like oh, no we, juniper. we just stuck with the the whole concept here was to create something because i saw the list of beers you're going to have at the fest mm-hmm. and so connor curry who's uh, my partner at the yellow apothecary um, what we thought we'd do is we would create something that focused on Caleb's malt because uh, he's he, he takes great, great pains to make a really authentic cold smoke birch malt um, specific to Gotland Strika. He referred to it as Gotland Strika malt. He did. He did. Amazing. Right? Isn't that so, amazing? But does that mean if someone wanted to brew a Polish Grzyski, he would have sent them a different malt? Even though in so many ways this is a light, lightly sm- it's a light-bodied, lightly smoked farmhouse 
style beer. Right. Like, I mean, that would be a question for Caleb. I mean, I got to know. Yeah, I think. Because you've seen Grzyzewski's popping up. I would think that he would send you something different, I think. Looking at his website and talking to him, I kind of think he'd give you something different. I hope you enter this. I don't even know if you enter GABF, but I want you to enter this beer it's next year. Next year. Well, we did bring in enough malt to do a couple brews, and I think if it goes well, like, so like back to the the but concept was like three categories. It needs to be the smoke beer category. Okay. The, uh, I assume there's a farmhouse category. Sure. And the historic category. Oh, we're gonna clean and up. I wanted to to win gold in all three. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just to show, man. Like, Twelve years in, I realized that smoke beers were actually the thing I should have been doing all along. Oh, from from your mouth to every <laughs> consumer's ears. And again, I this is such so so shameless, but uh, this beer I did ask you to put into motion four different smokes oh yeah it's all your fault uh, so that'll be october 14th at good life directly next to the ale apothecary's tasting room i'm sure some people think or expect the brewery to be there but as we've discussed as we've covered that is off the grid it is at your home uh but the we do special tours there you know yes. come to our tasting room get on our mailing list and um and we can find ways to get people to the brewery it is a very very special place to be Absolutely. Um, um, yeah, and so the, the beer ended up uh, it's like four, four and a half percent. Okay. Um, and very lightly hopped. And really, what we're trying to do, we actually even use some of Seth Smalt from uh, Mechagrade up in. Uh, oh, nice. Yep. And so just just to like keep the smoke component um, approachable. So the whole idea was, if you're at this smoke beer fest, all the beers are going to have uh, varying levels of smoke. Um, this one is kind of like a great palate cleanser. Um, where you've got that um, that cold birch smoke nose, and you get uh, a fair amount of malt character in the in the in on the palate, but it's not super complex. It's not it's not barrel aged. It's uh, it's a very simple beer. All right, a lot of other Rauch beers. Cheers, Prost. Cheers, or Skull. I, we skull. Should really, skull. We should be saying because it is Scandinavian. Uh, just from the aroma, it doesn't leap out and kick you in the nose with that big smoky medicinal phenolic character that you find in a lot of them including the ones imported from germany it has a very light delicate smoke whisper to it whisper yes whisper and obviously again as you mentioned it's uncarbonated but the that sort of light malt sweetness Mm -hmm. the light kind of white bread it's not even like a sourdough element, which is what I would have maybe expected from a a young, not fully developed beer from the Ale Apothecary. But yeah, again, this because, is right, this is exactly. our, our isolated wild yeast, right? So it's like wild Saccharomyces. Um, yeah, it's a uh, it's a controlled fermentation. So yeah, it's only it's only that single yeast strain that's doing doing the work. But then, what I also love is that at the very finish. That's when it starts to develop a little bit more of a bolder smoke finish, not unlike I can never pronounce the tea, but la lashong sushong lapsong oh, sushong the tea yeah the, yeah right the smoked Chinese yeah. tea that some people again some people don't like that mm-hmm. tea because they think it's too smoky. I freaking love sipping that stuff. Yeah, I, I mean like another it's inspiration and it's smoked is smoked and you know. Another inspiration is the uh, <clears throat> is the Hellas from um, 
uh, Schlenkerlof. Schlen- yeah. Right? I mean, that has always been this benchmark smoke beer that um, a pre- uh, is appealing to a wide wide group of people. Very mild smoke, well-rounded beer. Um, smoke is obviously present, but it's not. it doesn't dominate your face. The way I understand that particular beer from them is it's the only Rauch beer they make that doesn't have any smoked malt in it. It's just the yeast. from recycling yeah. their yeast that, of course, over time, it's a living thing. It's going to start to absorb that that phenol, mm-hmm. and it's going to bring in that smoke character without ever having been hit with a waft of smoke. True. It just lives in the DNA of their house yeast. It's a lovely thing. It's a, amazing, right? It's such a fun really. story. That, although... Again, I am kind of partial to their Mertzen and their Urbach, and their and they have a new uh, Schwartz beer out. New every week, something else. Could even Schlankerlaw, this six hundred year old brew, is like fine. <laughs> okay, we'll give you something new for the twenty first century. But it's gonna be smoky, right? So I, I need to get my hands on on that one. But this is what I this is one of the things that I love about you know smoke beer is that just like you were saying, you don't aspire to be an authentic any recreation because there's such a wide range and even within the Gotland streak from what I've read from Lars Mm -hmm. you know there's different home brewers and some of them are doing different things and some of them are using juniper some of them might be using only birch Mm -hmm. different ingredients different strengths some of them clock in or in the three to four percent range some of them maybe they're brewing them stronger for winter time and they're eight to nine percent yeah I love that right the variety it's so not, what the heck? This is a goblin right. streak. Third one in the United States. Okay. Thir- Go for it. It's Well, even in this uncarbonated phase, it's automatically in my top two, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> hey, <laughs> victory. <laughs> uh, well, is this a beer? Maybe too soon to, to, to tell. I'm not trying to put you on the spot, except I'm going to ask the question anyway. For Ale Farm, mm-hmm. do you have beers picked out, and is there a chance that Gotland Strika will live on in that under that umbrella, or will it be exclusively determined by the reception it gets, both at the Ale Apothecary tap room mm-hmm. and next door at different smokes? It's uh, I guess it's kind of both, right? It's like the beer we do need, you know, like as, as much as I try not to run a business, I still am running a business, mm-hmm. and the beer does need to sell. Um, Every so, brewery sales rep will tell you. Please to the brewers, please, dear God, do not make a smoke beer. I cannot sell <laughs> right, a smoke exactly. beer. Exactly, but and we don't yet have there that are much, weirdos you know. who love them. Yes, the present company. Yep, yeah, we we have we have made uh, we've made beers uh, aged in a Lafroig barrel, so that's kind of the oh, I version love, of smoke. I got to say, just again, two years ago when I did different smokes the first time, and I it was inspired by the really horrible fire and smoke season we had in 21, mm-hmm. uh, 22, mercifully wasn't as bad. 23, we just yeah. got rid of the last of our smoke, and I say last with my fingers crossed. But So the whole event is a benefit for the Oregon volunteer firefighters. Excellent. And I thought, what better, like if I'm going to do a beer festival, I just had to do a smoke beer festival, something that involves fire. And, and there's barbecue too. So Lovely. Um, you know, I'm bringing this back. I, I love the range of them. Uh, I, I, I've had people say you should do that every year because they want to go for the smoke character, yep. even though it was really inspired by wildfire season. Um, there's just not a lot out there. I could tell you that here in Bend, 
only Spider City. They're the only brewery that makes a smoked beer year round. And they do it on their cherrywood smoked malt. Oh, okay. I forgot who the malting company is that they source that from. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're, you know, different maltsters are experimenting with oak, birch, uh, beechwood, mm-hmm. alderwood, the whole range. Yeah. Right? And it then is, the process on how they get the it smoke. It could into be the, yeah. the whole new, you know, like just like IPA makers are always experimenting with different hop varietals and different techniques to incorporate more and more and more hops. I think there's a way to oh really experiment with such a wide range of smoke beers. Yeah. And there's a few breweries out there, uh, just to, to give them some love, Live Oak out of Texas, Switchback out of Vermont, and they're sending a few beers to the festival. Dovetail out of Chicago, classic brewery that really aspires to make very traditional styles. Uh, they're sending some out. So hopefully this beer does well for the Ale Apothecary slash Ale farm yes, because yes, i am enjoying it and i want to make sure that well, i get it again you so <laughs> I, I we brought in enough malt for two brews um so we made one and so kind of depending on how this goes it will help us understand what we can do with the next one because it would be fun to do one with our version uh you know like maybe we get some juniper um you know the alpine juniper which is more similar to the stuff they have in norway not the stuff you see on the desert or uh like with the sahati or the sati i i substitute spruce because that's growing right outside the brewery um it would be fun to add another component but for this this one in particular it was like let's just start really um at the most basic level and get that gotland streak of malt from indiana in here because it was truly it's made in this crazy way if you guys um, are interested in this kind of stuff look up sugar creek malting on the internet and check out how he's built his malt house and smokehouse um it's really cool well, this is the world's first Swedish, Indianan, Oregonian Gotland streaker. Damn straight. Hell, hell is yeah. <laughs> Paul, thank you so much for coming in and joining us on the podcast. It was a blast getting you in here. We'll get you back in to talk about uh, some, whatever your next super crazy, uh, crazy is such a bad word, but uh, super interesting off the beaten path beer uh, that you might dive into. Yeah, Gotland Streaker Part Duh. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Thanks, Brian. Bear, 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 gentle bear, 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 bear. A barrel of malt, a bushel of hops, you stir it around.